It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yeah, they'll know we are Christians by our love. In times where everyone is so divided, how can we be a good neighbor? Feeling all of his mysteries and making everything as plain as day. And if I have faith to say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I own to the poor, or even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Good morning, everyone. Great to have you worshiping with us this Mother's Day here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, very excited to bring this message to you this morning. I'm going to start off by asking a question of all of us. How many of us have a neighbor or friend that in a time of need we could count on no matter what their circumstance? Let me flip it. Are we that neighbor that someone could come to us and count on us, no matter what the circumstance. I want to take a minute. We're going to be looking at a story this morning out of the book of Mark, and it is a beautiful story in which we see individuals who are bringing someone who cannot bring themselves to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me into Mark chapter 2. We're going to be looking particularly at verses 1 through 12. But before we do, I want to just take a moment, and I'm going to tell you this. We're going to see this story. We're going to look at the story, and I want to make sure that we understand the theological importance in this, because I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that and then move into sort of the other side that I want us to focus on this morning. First and foremost, we're going to see Jesus essentially come forward and talk to individuals about the healing of a paralytic. Interestingly enough, in this story, as we're going to read in a, mo in a moment, he essentially says, what would it be easier for me to do? To say, essentially, take your mat, get up and walk, or to say, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus says, so that you may know, son, get up your take mat and walk. And so the point behind this is, is Jesus is demonstrating the authority that he has as being fully God and fully man to forgive our sins. 
And that's why we worship. That's why we're here this morning. That's the blessedness that we celebrate, recognizing indeed that Jesus has the power to forgive us of our sins. But I also want to take a moment, and I want to read this story to you, and we're going to ask this question as we do. As a family of faith, how do we become the best neighbors possible? In looking in the story, while giving all credit to Jesus, we're going to focus today actually on the individual's coming to Jesus and the paralytic who is in need. If you have your Bibles with you, please follow along as we read in Mark chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse uh, 1 all the way to verse 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat with the paralytic, with the paralyzed man who was lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to, force, to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, this is a beautiful story, and obviously it is sort of the beginning of Jesus' demonstration indeed that he is fully God and fully man, and that he has come on a mission which is to forgive us of our sins. However, we also look at this story, and I want to focus on the individuals whom are coming to Jesus. First and foremost, I want us to see in verses 1 through 2 this, that we need to be excited about our faith eager to learn, and ready to submit to Jesus. How do we be a good neighbor? First and foremost, friends, I want to tell you that it really involves our faith, our desire to be close to God, our desire to want to know more about Jesus, and our desire to reflect him in our lives. I love this in the sense that as we look in the scene, let's take a moment and we see right here, it says a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So, many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Friends, imagine if right now this place was so crowded that there was no room for people to come. Imagine if Jesus was preaching the word and so many people were excited to hear what he had 
to say. Imagine if this was so crowded that people were outside of the church trying to get in because they wanted to hear the words of Jesus. Lovingly, I'm going to tell you that I think that's true. Lovingly, I'm going to say, I think that there are people out there that desperately want to hear the words of Jesus. But also, lovingly, I'm going to tell you that I think some people are concerned about coming to a church that might judge them unfairly, might look at them and say, you don't belong here. You're not supposed to be here. And lovingly, I'm going to tell you that that's on us. It's our job to go out and to be individuals whom are wanting to teach and preach the love of God so that people can hear who he is. It's our job to take Jesus outside of these walls so that they can come and hear about Jesus inside of these walls. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Lovingly, I want to ask you, are you excited about your faith? Ask that question. Are you excited about your faith? Are you excited, in fact, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you've given your life over to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Maker of heaven and earth? Or, lovingly, non-judgmentally, has your faith sort of become monotonous? You just kind of get into the routine. You come to church, you do what you need to do, you hear the pastor's message, you sing a few songs, you... Grab some donuts <laughs> and some coffee with flavoring and fellowship, which is all good. But then you go home, and Jesus is an afterthought. Are you eager to learn? Are, are you eager to learn? And here's, here's where I'm going with this. Friends, you do not have to be an expert in the, in the, in the Bible. I want to give you a little newsflash. Nobody is. No one's an expert in the Bible. Now you kind of worry and you say, well, wait, what is that? How is that? What I'm telling you is, is God is so big, God is so great, that even as we study the word, even as we plumb the depths of scripture, we just scratch the surface of how big and how great God is. And honestly, I don't want to know God fully because if I do, he isn't God. Are we eager to learn? When we look at the word, when we see the word, when we see the instruction of scripture and it pricks our heart, or better yet, it reminds us of an area where we might be sinning or turning away from God, are we ready to go to God and say, hey Lord, forgive me, knowing that he does, but then ask him to encourage us to change our hearts more toward Christ rather than more toward our individuality. And that's the next thing. Are we ready to submit to Jesus? Friends, the biggest thing that I think we can do as followers of Christ here before we go out there is to submit our lives wholly to Jesus Christ. Have we done that? Because what I want to tell you is this. If we go out there and we say come in here and you need to submit your life to Jesus Christ and that outsider looks at us and says, but I haven't seen you do that with your life. Lovingly, I'm going to tell you it's probably better that they stay out there. 
Because the world doesn't need hypocrites. The world needs to see followers of Jesus Christ who are excited about their faith, eager to learn, and ready to submit to Jesus. And this is just a snapshot of people who are saying, hey, there is something about this guy. There is something going on with him that is different, and we want to go and hear what he has to say. And Jesus, as we see, preaches the word to them. He starts to tell them about who he is, what he is doing, who God is, and what his purpose is in this world. And so, friends, are we excited about our faith? Are we eager to learn, and are we ready to submit to Jesus? And that's the big part that I want to encourage us in this morning. I think we can do wonderful things in our community. I think we can be an amazing church. I think we are an amazing church. But the core begins with us. When we think about outreach, when we think about reaching out to the community, we need to inwardly reflect first and say, God, how can I be a greater reflection of you so that when I'm out there, people see Jesus through me? We see the story, and then it gets even more interesting. We get into these next couple of verses, and we see this determination unfold. In verse 3, it says, Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Let me ask you this, and I think this is how we can be the best neighbor possible. We need to have a heart of compassion to carry the load for those who are in need. Do we have a heart of compassion? Or is it more just about you and your individual faith? That's the next aspect that I want to encourage you in. Yes, we need to be excited about our faith, eager to learn and ready to submit to Jesus, but lovingly what I want to tell you is that in that, if we truly are excited about our faith, eager to learn and ready to submit to Jesus, that automatically should turn and transform our hearts to have compassion for others. So let me ask you this. Is there someone out there right now that you know you need to have a heart of compassion for and carry the load for them? Is there someone like this paralytic who desperately needs to be loved, to be encouraged, to perhaps come to Christ. And the only means for that individual to do it is by you carrying the load for them. Please hear me on this. I'm not saying that we save them. That's not what we're talking about here. But is there somebody out there that God has put on your heart that is essentially saying to you, hey, you need to be the one to go and essentially carry their mat so that they can see Jesus Christ. Do we have a heart of compassion for people? Beyond just kind of a fleeting thought, beyond just kind of a, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but do we truly go and say, how can we be compassionate to the individuals who are around us. I want to take a minute and I want to think about this because we're going to move into this next part, which is determination. 
But I want to take a moment, I want to talk about desperation. Because I think the determination that's here comes out of desperation that was planted beforehand. Place yourselves in the lives of this paralytic. Because in Jesus' day, a paralytic was essentially someone that everybody just kind of wandered past. They were beyond hope. A lot of people, even in Jesus' day, would have thought, well, the reason that that person is paralyzed is because they did something wrong and upset the gods. They would look and they would say, perhaps if I interact with that individual, I will upset the gods or I will become unclean or impure or unrighteous. We don't do that, do we? Lovingly, I want to tell you, how many of you have said, you know, I'd love to bring that individual to church, I'd love to see that person in church, but if I did, I wonder if people would look at me differently. Some people are desperate. Some people want to come to Christ. But because of the situation that they are in, they wonder if they can even have the opportunity to do so or if they're worthy of his love, of his mercy, and his grace. And I love this part of the story because we see desperation overcome by determination. And that's what I want us to have in this church. We need to have a heart of compassion to carry the load of those who are in need. We see these individuals, and again, men bring to him a paralytic carried by four of them. You can't get there, so we're going to do it for you. And again, please hear me. I'm not saying that these individuals are the one who save him. Jesus is the one who saves him. I don't want anybody to be confused. But they bring this person to Jesus. And I think they bring this person to Jesus because of the desperation that was there. Hey, there's something different. There's something going on about this person. Let's get, and I don't know this individual's name, but let's get this person to Jesus. Can I ask a question? Do we have that heart for people? Let's get this person to Jesus. Interesting enough, Henry Nouwen, a professor, writer, and theologian, says this, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human. Compassion means the full immersion into the condition of being human. Friends, when we want to emulate Christ, we must have a compassionate heart for others. 
We must be willing to mourn with those who mourn, cry with those who cry, going into those places where people are desperately in need and loving them as Christ loves us. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to be vulnerable with the vulnerable? Powerless with the powerless? Are we willing to be mourning with those who are lonely, weeping with those who are in tears? Or do we want to come and put our best face on when we enter this church and have everybody think that all is okay in our lives? Please hear me, I'm not saying that we need to go out and tell everybody all of our you know, deepest struggles and all the sins in our lives, but I think that we need to be real. I think we need to show people that we too are human in need of a Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he does for us. And I think that when they see that, they begin to recognize that the church is not some ivory tower that you have to be perfect to come to in order to share the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That you can come in brokenness. You can come in mourning. You can come powerless in fear, in vulnerability. And you can be truly loved through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died on a cross for you. You can come as you are and through the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the joy of his life in you, you can then be transformed into the image that God wants to make you into through his love, his mercy, his grace, his word, and discipleship of the church. And so these individuals carry this paralytic who could not bring himself to Jesus. And let's go back, right? Let's go back for a minute. Hey, did you hear that there's this guy, Jesus, and he's coming back to Capernaum and he's going to be teaching the word. He's coming here. Let's, let's go see. I've heard something different about him. And let's take said individual, the paralytic. Let's, let's see if maybe, just maybe, he can do something for this person. Right? And you get going and you get there and the place is too crowded to even see Jesus. Place is full, you can't even get inside, you can't even move, you can't even do anything. How many of you would just say, Well, we tried. <coughs> Made a good effort. It's just not gonna happen. Can't get to Jesus. And this is where this story gets so amazing. We see these individuals have a heart of compassion and carry the load for the others whom are in need, for this paralytic. And then in Mark 2, verses 4 and 5, we essentially see this, and this is what we need. We need to have a whatever it takes or just do it attitude. I put those in quotes, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. Whatever it takes or just do it attitude. Sorry to bring Nike into this. I'm not making a promotion to them. But oftentimes it's, oh, I'll just do it later. Or, oh, it's just not the right time. Or, oh, if I do this now, what about that? Or, oh, I'll just, I'll think about it down the road. And what do we do? We just kind of kick that can down the road. But these individuals look and they see the obstruction. They see that there are all of these people around Jesus and they can't get in. And they say, nope, 
We're going to have a whatever it takes, just do it attitude. And what do they do? Well, let's read in this story. Continues on. Since they could not get him to Jesus. Think about this. Since they could not get him to Jesus, cause the crowd. Oh, again. Too many people. Nice try. Guess it's just not going to happen. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was all four of them. I don't know if it was one of them. They just said, no, we're not going to stop. We're not letting the crowd stop us. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to just do it. We're going to get on this roof if we have to, and we're going to figure out a way in. You're going to do what? We're going to get on this roof, and we're going to figure out a way in. We are getting this person to Jesus, whatever it takes. And so we continue, and we see this. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus after digging through it. Think, think about this for a minute. How many of you have read this story, right? Okay. How many of you are kind of thinking that, you know, Jesus is doing his thing, and the guys get up on the roof, and they're kind of like, you know, Slowly, like opening the roof, and they're kind of okay, just let, shh, let him talk, right? Don't interrupt what he's saying. And then they kind of lower him in, right? No, they were banging on this roof. They were ripping through the clay. They were tearing through what it was. Imagine right now, okay? If we're sitting here, and I, I think it would be very interesting. If we're sitting here and I'm preaching the word, and all of a sudden we just hear this like, right? And we're all like, what was that? And then we hear, boom, 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 right? I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, Jesus loves you. This I know for the, right? The next thing you know, plaster starts falling. And the fan falls, the projector falls, and everybody goes, oh my gosh, this place is falling apart, right? What would we do? Lovingly, honestly, what would our natural reaction be? And I'll tell you right now. I would look up and I would say, what the... Right? Are you doing? I'm preaching a sermon here about Jesus. And the next thing you know, down comes this paralytic who is desperate to hear the word, to desperately get before Jesus. Talk about humble pie. Talk about break that roof, rip that roof, do whatever you got to do to get that person in here. Thank you for your faith. We need to have a whatever it takes, just do it attitude. And trust me, I'm not going to make any more construction sounds. <laughs> but think about that for a minute. These guys are like, we're going to get this person to Jesus no matter what. And then... They lower the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw his faith, their faith, that's plural, don't miss this, their faith, he said what? Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now watch this too. Let's, let's flip this on the other side, okay? Son, your sins are forgiven. It was because of their faith, Jesus turns and says to the paralytic, sons, your, your sins are forgiven. Beautiful story, right? I know my sinful heart. Wait a minute, what about my sins? I'm the one that lowered him down. Don't I get those forgiven as well? The story continues on. Here's someone who comes to Jesus. Jesus sees the faith of these individuals who have a whatever-it-takes attitude to rejoice in that individual having their sins forgiven by God. The point that I'm making here is, as we will see in a minute, the sins of mankind are forgiven. Jesus goes to the cross to forgive all of us. But on the reverse, friends, it's not always all about us. It's not always all about our ascension or our closer knitness to God. Yes, that's important. But let's rejoice when we see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's recognize that there are individuals out there who desperately need Jesus. And that's one more for the kingdom. One more whom we will see in God's kingdom throughout eternity in heaven. Can I ask just a few quick questions? How many of us would have stopped when we came to the crowd? How many of us would have even started? How many of us were to say, hey, let's go get, and I'll, I'll use the name. Is there, is there a Joe in here? I just want to, anybody a Joe? Okay, because I, okay, we're going to use Joe. Let's get Joe to Jesus. And then you come and there's this crowd and you say, well, wait a minute, it's too crowded, let's go home, it's not going to happen. And then obviously we have this, whatever it takes, just do it attitude. And then we're banging on the roof and you're sitting there and you're going, we're making too much noise, we're going to interrupt or whatever. And then obviously we bring Joe to Jesus and Jesus sees their faith and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that in our lives? Let me take another sort of avenue here. Maybe it's not a paralytic, but maybe God has put someone on your heart and you are encouraging them in the word and it's getting harder or more challenging to bring them to Jesus for whatever reason it might be. Now, please hear me. God is the one who saves. I do not want us thinking that we receive the credit of someone else's salvation. But are we going to continue to have a whatever it takes or just do it attitude for that person to come to Christ? Continue to pray, continue to encourage, continue to love, continue to draw. Because out of the determination, I guarantee you that there's desperation in that individual. They may not show it, you might not know it, but in order to overcome desperation, you do it with determination. That's through prayer, like we talked about that last week. That's through loving this individual and continuing to be Christ to them. That's by giving them opportunities and lovingly. Here's the other thing. We don't know in this story, I'm just throwing this out, not giving them excuses. It's possible that Joe just said, hey guys, thanks, good job. It's not gonna happen. Let's just, just, just take me home. Right? And it took someone, somewhere, one of them, four of them, to say, no, we're doing this. 
Maybe it was Joe that said, please, whatever you need to do, get me to Jesus. And lovingly, I can tell you right now that there are individuals out there, they may not show it, but I guarantee you they're saying, whatever it takes, get me to some purpose in life. What is this all about and why am I here? Get me to Jesus. And interesting, they drop him in and then here's what happens. Let's take a look at verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so here's something else that I think is important for us and how we can become the best neighbors possible. And that is this, that we need to get rid of our religious pride and humble our hearts before Christ. Right here is the scene of individuals whom are religious in their pride looking and saying, that's not right. We know who God is. That can't happen because we are the righteous ones. And friends, lovingly, what I want to tell you is this, is may we not become so righteous that we look at individuals and think that they have to have their lives together are put together before they can come and worship here, before they can come and hear the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, before they're accepted here because of who they are because of Jesus Christ. Now there's transformation. There's transformation after coming to Jesus Christ. But anybody can come to Christ and hear his word and be blessed by it. And when they place their faith and trust in him truly, that's when the transformation begins through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to get rid of our religious pride and humble our hearts before Christ. These individuals were looking and they had seen and they had looked at essentially the scriptures of the day and thought that they knew it so well that they're missing God right in front of their faces. The other thing, interestingly enough, is by Jesus saying what he says, according to Old Testament law, Jesus is sealing his fate which is blasphemy, and blasphemy by saying that you are God is death by whatever means. And obviously we know in Jesus' case it was via crucifixion. So for Jesus to say what he says, right, even if he can't do it, is sheer lunacy. And that's where this rhetorical question comes in. Jesus is essentially saying, what's easier for me to say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Right? The reason that he says this is people, people don't know. People can't see. People won't recognize what's going on. He says, okay, well, so that you may know that your sins are forgiven, I'm going to tell you, get up and walk. And so visually, he performs a miracle to demonstrate actually the power and authority of what Jesus has, which is to forgive people of sins. reversing it to those religious people. They're missing what's going on. I want to ask you, do we come to Christ in pride? I 
No, we come to Christ with a humble heart, recognizing our brokenness and need for our Savior. We don't religiously move ourselves toward God. We don't ascend toward acceptance of God. We don't intellectualize toward God loving us. We come in brokenness, recognizing that we desperately need our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows that we desperately need him, so that's why he went to the cross, so that we may have eternal life through his sacrifice. A.W. Tozer says this, for the Christian, humility is absolutely indispensable. Without it, there can be no self-knowledge, no repentance, no faith, and no salvation. And here's what I want to drive toward. Oftentimes, and I see it even sometimes in myself, after coming to Christ, we sort of begin to get prideful in our Christianity, and we move towards sort of this elevated position of other people, and we think that we're better than them because we are followers of Jesus. And that's where we need to remember that all of us come to Christ through humility and brokenness. And I think that when individuals who need to see Jesus begin to see our humility and our brokenness as we exalt our Savior, they begin to see that it's real and that there is a God who loves us and loves them and is willing to do whatever it takes and to just do it attitude so that we might have life. I'm going to take this for a minute and we talk about the whatever it takes, just do it attitude or the roof. What about whatever it takes, just do it attitude of Jesus Christ? Father, if there is any other way, make it happen. But if not, I'm going to do whatever it takes and have a just do it attitude so that we might come to Jesus. And then, how do we become the best neighbors possible? We get into this latter part of the story, and this is the, 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 just the joyous part. We continue on, and we see, obviously, that these religious leaders are, are looking, and Jesus, in verse 8, says, hey, I know what's going on. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, your take, uh, get up take your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so we get into this, and then this is how we become the best neighbors possible. We reflect the forgiveness of our sins and rejoice in the forgiveness of others. Remember earlier how we talked and we looked and he said, son, your sins are forgiven, and we're kind of sitting there going, well, wait a minute. What about me? What about what, what I get? Is there anything that I do? We continue in this story, and he says, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay? Think about this for a minute. They see a paralytic get up and walk. That's pretty amazing, right? But what's the deeper part of this story? Uh, Joe has come to Jesus, and Joe 
is walking. Joe has come to Jesus and now is walking because Jesus has the power and authority to forgive us of our sins. And they praise God. People are beginning to start to see and recognize the authority of who Jesus is. Now, it's not fully realized until Jesus goes to the cross, rises from the grave, triumphs over sin and death, etc., etc. But if anyone is paying attention right here, if anyone is looking, if anyone is watching, they're beginning to see that there is something really big about who this person is. Because not only did he just heal the paralytic, but he says that he can forgive sins. And as a demonstration of him being able to forgive sins, he's going to heal this paralytic. And so this is what is important for us to see. We need to reflect on the forgiveness of our sins and rejoice in the forgiveness of others. I'm going to turn this a little bit on us. And what I want to talk to you about is this. How many of you like to kind of point out the sins in other people? See people kind of looking away from me right now. How many of you like to point out the sins in other people? It's really easy to do, isn't it? Oh, man, that person, oh, that person, oh, geez, look at this, look at that, et cetera, et cetera. But I think when we look more at the forgiveness of our sins, when we look and go before God and see how he forgives us of our sins, it turns our hearts to look and say, God can forgive the sins of that person too. Tim Keller kind of synthesizes this pretty simply. He says, the more you rejoice in your own forgiveness the quicker you will be to forgive others. So here's a, here's a quick question. Check your heart. If you're pointing out the sins in other people, if you're looking at other people and saying, look at that, look at that, look at this, et cetera, et cetera, lovingly what I want to tell you is check your heart and ask yourself this simple question. Am I reflecting on the forgiveness of my sins in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because if I truly am, if I'm truly rejoicing in being forgiven, if I truly am rejoicing in being a follower of Christ who has my sins forgiven, that turns our hearts to look to the sinner across the street and say, you know what, I'm going to rejoice too and recognize that their sins can be forgiven as well. And that's what makes a great neighbor. Not that judgmental neighbor that looks across and says, Do you, did you see what they did? Did you see what they're doing? And then they go. They praise God and they say, we've never seen anything like this. Pretty amazing thing of what's going on. I would love for us to be able to look and say, we've never seen anything like this. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you that if we are wanting to be the best neighbors possible, if we are excited about our faith, eager to learn and ready to submit to Jesus, if we have a heart of compassion and we're willing to carry the load for other people, if we have a whatever it takes or just do it attitude, if we look and we remove our religious pride and we humble our hearts before Christ and we think about and we reflect on the forgiveness of our sins, we are running and willing to have Jesus forgive the sins of other people. And that drives us to essentially what I'm kind of talking about this morning, which is this. To be the best neighbors possible in humility, may we go to Christ with a heart of compassion and a whatever-it-takes attitude 
to reflect and rejoice on his forgiveness of our sins. Start there. And then go out and be salt and light to this lost and hurting world. Let's take a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for this story in Mark. And Father, again, uh, I want to make sure that we praise you for the fact that this is a demonstration indeed that you are fully God and fully man, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Father, thank you that we see that all throughout the scriptures. But Lord, as we take and we look at this story from another angle, as we look at it from the angle of the crowd, the paralytic, and the four that brought, Je- uh, brought this paralytic to Jesus, may we recognize the desperation that is overcome by determination. May we recognize these individuals who did whatever it took to bring this person to Jesus. And Father, most likely, they're bringing this person to Jesus just hoping that perhaps maybe he could do something about him being paralyzed. And they got a two-for-one. They got a two-for-one deal. The best deal ever. Not only did this person become healed from their paralysis, but they were healed from their deeper need, which was their spiritual depravity. Father, help us to recognize that that's what Christ has done for us. And in that, Lord, may that encourage us to go out and be the best neighbors possible to those who are around us. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen. We're going to, in just a moment, move to our time of Holy Communion. And uh, a few things for you. What I'd like to do, first and foremost, is um, when you came in, there were some cups there. Um, If you did not receive them, we are going to just take a minute, and if I could have maybe an individual kindly pass cups. Does everyone have a communion cup that would like one? And in this, as I'm saying that uh, also, I want to let you know, you do not have to be a member of our church to participate in communion. We welcome all who have a relationship with our Lord and uh, Savior Jesus Christ to partake. So I just want to make sure that you have an opportunity uh, to do so. Also, again, I know this is somewhat a little bit awkward, but um, we're going to partake in just a minute, and I'm going to encourage you, particularly ladies, Mother's Day, etc., etc. Um, when we open these, there are two flaps. Uh, the first one is easy to do. The second one is the grape juice. And so what I would encourage you to do when we open the grape juice is to open it like this because they can kind of pop out and you might have a stain on, on yourself. So everybody have a communion cup that would like to partake. Okay. As we do, one of the things that I'd like to talk about, and again, I think this is sort of interesting. I don't think it's ironic. Uh, I think the Lord has kind of planned it this way. We've talked about reflecting on our forgiveness. That's what we do in communion. This is a time where we do business with God. We go before him, we thank him for who he is, we thank him for what he's done in our life, but also I want to encourage you, scripture tells us essentially, if we come to commune 
and we hold a grudge against a brother or sister in Christ, Paul, more politely, but kind of just says, you might as well just get up and leave. There's, there's no reason to do it. And so lovingly, what I want to encourage us all in is make it count. Make it count this morning. And if there is any area in which you need to forgive, in which you need to reflect on your own forgiveness to be able to forgive, then lovingly, I want to tell you, let's, let's do it now. And God, through his love, his mercy, his grace, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, will enable us to do so because we have been forgiven much. We're going to commune uh, together. Again, I, wanna, I think we're all set. I just want to make sure nobody's missing. Okay. Okay. The ordinance of communion in which we participate symbolizes our unity in Christ. It unites each of us in a common bond with other believers across the centuries and around the world. In this ancient rite, just as many grains of wheat and many individual grapes come together to form one loaf and one cup, so too the people of God coming from many places and backgrounds are made into one church, the body of Christ. Let's reflect on that just for a moment. When we, when we talk about this, we talk about people coming from different places, different backgrounds. We're united this morning with other believers across the centuries as well as around the world. Take a moment right now and just, just look around, okay? Look around at the people who gathered here. And reflect on this for a minute. We've all come from different places and backgrounds. And now take a minute and just reflect on that there are other churches in our community whom are doing the same thing this morning. And then reflect on the fact that there are other churches in our state and then in our nation and then around the world. Friends, we are so blessed to be part of something so much greater than what is just visibly in front of us this morning. And now lastly, reflect upon the fact that there are saints that have gone before us across the centuries right now as we see in the book of Hebrews that are cheering us on in the race saying, good job, keep going, keep going. You can't believe what you're headed toward. That's what's going on right now. Reflect on that for a minute. Bread was a common mundane part in everyday life, and yet it was in the breaking of bread that the risen, Christ, the risen Christ often revealed himself. On the last night that he spent with his followers, Jesus gave them a powerful symbol of his presence. He made special that which was commonplace and ordinary by taking the bread, and as he had done so often before, he blessed, broke, and gave it to them. And he said, take and eat, for this is my body which is given. For you. Fruit of the vine was a standard beverage in ancient Israel. It was also Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine at Cana. Christ did this to show the abundance 
of God's blessing. I want to pause there for a minute. Think about this for a minute. Christ did this to show the, and now look at everybody, the abundance of God's blessing. That last night, he once again turned something mundane into something holy as he took the cup, gave thanks, and announced to the disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of you. give thanks, O God, for this holy meal that you have given us. Think on this for a minute. May the power and present of Christ so evident in this ordinance. May the power and presence of Christ so evident in this ordinance. May the power and presence of Christ so evident in this ordinance be evidenced in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds as we try to serve both you and 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 our neighbors in the coming days. Keep us mindful. Keep us mindful of the example of Christ. And fill us with your Holy Spirit, both now and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.